بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الأمين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجعل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا قال الله تعالى في كتاب المجيد ولا تكونوا كالذين نسوا الله فأنساهم أنفسهم وقال تعالى أفرأيت من اتخذ إلهه هوا صدق الله العظيم Dear respected brothers and elders, mothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A young man wakes up early in the morning, packs up his book bag, he heads out to college or university. On his way, he decides to stop by a local cafe, pick up a latte, pick up a coffee, an espresso. But inside, the cafe, if he is a probing in individual, if he is somebody who is a mufakir, if he is somebody who thinks, أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ أَفَلَا تَفَكَّرُونَ أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ If he is an individual that thinks, he will see the obvious allusions to sexual inclinations. He will see the obvious allusions to sexual perversions. And he will consider and wonder that what does me having to go out and buy a cup of coffee have to do with another individual's perversions? If he's an individual that thinks and ponders, he will think that why is it that I watch a sports event that I have to be bombarded with various propaganda of someone else's fantasies? He will consider and think that why is it that when I go to a local library, and I see the children's section, that I will see books that discuss intimate and intricate details of a person's anatomy. He'll start to think and wonder why. And this question of why is what we will discuss today, inshallah ta'ala. Now this question of how did we end up in the situation that we are in today, where Sexual perversions and inclinations of an individual or multiple individuals has been made the norm and has been force-fed down our throats. Why and how did this end up being the situation today? In a not-so-distant past, again, in a not-so-distant past, like Suleiman just mentioned, Hafiz Suleiman just mentioned, the things that we consider normal today would have been absurd and would have been insanity. The things that we think are okay and good and normal, the customs of today, would have been absolutely absurd in the past, in a not so distant past. So the question that we are going to investigate is how and why did the th do the things that we think are normal today become normal when they weren't the case for thousands of years? Now, I would like to mention a caveat before we begin. That is, this is not a thorough or a comprehensive account of what happened. For anyone to claim that this is a thorough or comprehensive account in a 45-minute talk of 500 years of history is also absurd. So this is one angle that I would like to take and allow us to understand that uh, the situation that we find ourselves in. There are many different factors. There are economic factors, there are political factors, there are religious factors. There's so many other reasons why we find ourselves in this 
uh, situation today. The, the angle that I would like to tackle is a philosophical angle. And it's not the complete picture either. It is one core idea or belief that was fundamental before that is no longer fundamental today. Again, we're going to look at one idea, one belief that was core and fundamental before in a not so distant past that is no longer fundamental and nor, no longer intuitive and basic and simple and has been rejected. And that's why we find ourselves in the situation today. It is one factor, one of the most important factors, but again, I clarify, it is not the all-in comprehensive discussion on the topic. Towards the end of the session, inshallah ta'ala, I will highlight some resources that inshallah ta'ala that will further, uh, further provide more detail, inshallah. The entire discussion today can be summarized as a manifestation of a single ayah. And this ayah is what's supposed to be on the next slide. Um, it is the ayah that I recited at the khutbah of the talk. And this is the ayah at the end of Surah Al-Hashr. Wherein Allah says, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ نَسُوا اللَّهِ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنفُسَهُمْ أُولَٰئِكَهُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ That do not be like those people that forgot Allah Azza wa Jalla, so they forgot themselves. Do not be like those people who forgot Allah Azza wa Jalla, so they forgot themselves. And there are the transgressors. This ayah is the story. They forgot God, so they forgot what they were as well. And this is the situation we find ourselves in today. And this is what we're going to unravel a little bit, inshallah ta'ala. Okay. So the overview of our presentation is we're going to have four chapters, inshallah ta'ala, and we should be able to cover all four chapters. The first is the current situation. I kind of want to highlight and really emphasize that we are in a very strange time, that this is a deeply woven tapestry, that this is a very intricate, intertwined idea and it's not just a propaganda it's not some hidden agenda it's an open agenda and i want to highlight that and the importance of that and that we have to realize this is not something that's going to happen it's already happened and number two so that we can be on a same platform of discussion we need to define some terms alhamdulillah since this is a talk at the end of the retreat some of these terms have already been defined by dr mateen and others but I'm going to reiterate some of those points because there might be new attendees in the audience. Number three, and this is the philosophical point that I want to highlight, is a discussion about essences. And this is the more difficult portion of today's topic. And lastly, the rationalization, how they rationalize immorality. So let's get right into it. Chapter one, the current situation. So over here, I have a few statistics and quotations from different scopes or spheres of life. There is a document that has all of these, inshallah, I will share it at the end. Okay? In terms of our books, and just common books, comics, anything that we read, there is a significant growth, growth of LGBTQ literature. Now, I'm not going to say this term again and again, because it's like reciting half the alphabet every single time. I'm just going to say that group of people, okay? For the sake of time and brevity. So in many, many 
simple cartoons, for example, something that we might have grew up watching, they are no longer innocent cartoons. They have a clear, not a hidden, a clear agenda where they now bring out characters that we might have grew, grown up watching as, oh, as gay, as homosexual, as queer, as different identities, sexual identities. And now, as parents, or as older siblings, we might think, okay, our oldest son used to watch this. What's the big deal if our younger son watches this? Or we grew up watching this. What's the big deal if they read the same book? Or they read the same characters? It's not the same. It's not the same. Because the simple things that we used to watch are no longer watchable. So as parents, we have to realize that the books that our children read and the young people read, they are filled with this propaganda. And since this is a masjid, I'm not bringing the more explicit works. They are explicit works from the age of preschool where they talk about the private parts of an individual and how those private parts interact with each other between men. So there are books out there and they are taught in schools, in kindergartens, in different states. In certain states, it's not allowed. In other states, it is allowed. So these are things we have to be aware of. Disney, there was a thing that happened about a few months ago, about a year ago. There was, they are now openly claiming that all our shows and our movies that are to come, they are going to incorporate different people uh, from the alphabet community. Global affairs. Now, if you do not identify and if you do not support this movement, there are ramifications. And as you guys know, in the World Cup, the huge issue that was brought up, where the West wants to force their ideals upon other Muslim countries. It's not something that like, you do what you want, we will do what we want. That's not, that's not the situation. What happens is that there is a mass propagation and an indoctrination that if you do not stand by it, you will be taken to task. Okay? And now there are people, and this is nothing new, I'm sure we all know that there are people within the Muslim community and outside of the Muslim community who want to interpret the Sharia, the Quran, Hadith, to accept these identities or these identities based upon sexual perversions, which was never a thing before. For example, Muslim culture isn't inherently anti-gay. The Qur'an says nothing about homosexuality, unlike the Bible. Islamic history is filled with texts openly depicting homosexuality as a beautiful, matter-of-fact thing. And most American Muslims support same-sex marriage than do Christian evangelicals, Protestants, and Mormons. Okay? Now these are the type of things that are out there. Now when an average Muslim goes to university, unbeknownst to himself, there is an agenda in their education. And not just a hidden agenda, an open agenda. It's no longer hidden like it was 20 years ago. It is all open. Now, now, the question is why? Why do they need to make it such that everyone has to accept it? And that is something that I will highlight towards the end of this session, inshallah. But I don't want anyone to think this is not so important. This is not a big deal. This is what happens over there, maybe in some academic setting in academia. No, this is happening in our day-to-day -day world, even in our cartoons, in our media, in our politics, in our policies. Everything is painted by this picture. And we have to realize that this brush will paint us as well. And it will paint the Muslim community as well. If we do not realize soon enough. Number two, the definition of terms. Now this quote... Don't quote me on this quote, but this is commonly attributed to Socrates. And as you know, Socrates did not write a single book himself or a text. He is the mouthpiece of Plato. -o. So, did he say this or if he did not say this? Allah alam, but it's still a nice quote nonetheless. The beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. So for us to get on 
a level where we can discuss. If I'm talking about modernity and I'm thinking about something and you're thinking about something else, we're not going to get communication across. If I say, hey, let's go to Dar es Salaam and you think about the publisher and I'm thinking about this institution, we're not going to be at the same place. Likewise, we need to have a same conception of the terms you use. So before we can get into any type of discussion, we need to have similarity of terms or understand a term in the same manner. Okay? So that's why we're going to define some terms. Some of this was already defined before, I understand. But again, there might be new people in the crowd, so I'm just going to um, re, uh, reiterate, inshallah. Number one, materialism. Materialism refers to a worldview that prioritizes material or physical realities over spiritual or transcendent dimensions of human existence. Materialism in this sense is associated with a reductionist understanding of the world where everything is ultimately explained in terms of physical processes or material conditions. Now, to explain this in simple English, materialism is the idea that there's only physical and material things in existence. Nothing exists except that it is material. So if, if angels exist, they exist as material phenomena. Not as immaterial phenomena. If God exists, He exists as a material phenomena. Something tangible. Something that can be put under a microscope. Nothing exists except that it is material. So everything around us is material. And everything around us can, if we have the technological capabilities, can be put under a microscope and can be seen. If we have the technological capabilities, we should be able to see everything that exists because it is material. Anything material is physical. Anything physical can be seen if we have the technological capabilities. So this is materialism. I'm just throwing out some terms. We're going to wrap everything together at the end, inshallah ta'ala. Number two, liberalism. And this, Maulana Mateen Saab, he elucidated this in much detail. So I'm not going to spend, he had a whole hour session. Unfortunately, did not get to listen to the entire thing. So for those of us who have not had a listen, Go listen to that, inshallah. Friday nights after Maghrib talk or after Isha talk. Liberalism as a philosophical doctrine, okay, upholds the notion of unrestricted individual liberty, recognizing that any curtailment of this freedom must be duly justified. Now, liberalism or liberal philosophy as a philosophical doctrine, I am not talking about the political stance or the political notion of liberalism. I'm not talking about being Democrat versus being Republic. Both the Democrat and Republic parties are adherents and followers of liberal philosophy. Okay? Liberal philosophy is the idea that man is inherently free. He has complete freedom. And if there are any restrictions on man's freedom, it must be justified. So, for example, John Locke, okay, the father of American liberalism. John Locke says... The man is inherently free. But if we have a bunch of free individuals and free men, it's eventually going to lead to problems. So we voluntarily give our authority to a state. To, we voluntarily give up some freedoms so that we can attain other freedoms. This is known as a social contract. We give up our rights, certain rights, to gain other rights. So the state is not above the law. The state is within the law because we voluntarily gave it up. Okay? So again, this is just an example of justification of, uh, of uh, curtailment of liberty. So any freedom 
cannot, freedom is the core. And if anything, uh, uh, anything obstructs freedom, there has to be justified reason. Okay? And this is completely opposite to how we see the world. We say, see the word is ibadur rahman. We're the servants of Allah Azza wa Jalla. We are bound to Allah Azza wa Jalla's commands. We do not believe that we are completely free in any sort of way. We believe that we have certain things that we must do. There are certain things that we cannot do. We cannot do shirk. We cannot do X, Y, and Z. We do not have the right to do any of those things. Because Allah Azza wa told us. Complete different framework. And I believe Muhammad Mateen's talk was on this. That liberalism and Islam are complete two different frameworks. They cannot cohabit. Because fundamentally we disagree. We disagree that we have something that we must have this. No, it's what Allah Azza wa Jalla gives us. It's what Allah Azza wa tells us to do. That's what we have. What He tells us not to do, it's not our rights. We don't have the right towards it. That's a topic for Mahamatin Sak. Please go ahead and listen to that. Third, and this one I kind of want to highlight, secularism. Now this is a term that's thrown around left and right, and it has a few denotations or few different meanings. On the left, secularization refers to the historical process through which societies and individuals transition from a religiously dominant worldview to one in which religion loses its centrality and authority. Now this can be divided into three different types of meanings. The first is secular means a separation of church and state. I'm sure we've all heard of this, that there is no room for religion and politics. When it comes to policy making, when it comes to the law, Religion should take a step out of the door. We as rational human beings will decide on rational laws to govern ourselves. That's one notion of secular. Separation of church and state. Number two, another notion of secular is that a decline in religiosity. Eventually, people are going to realize religion is hoo-ha. It's not real. It's talking about fantasies. And people are going to see that the, pro the progress of science, the progress of rationale, progress of technology, that they're going to drop religion. So the second notion of secular is that eventually there will be a decline in religiosity. Now the third denotation of secular, and this is taken from uh, a book called A Secular Age by Charles Taylor. It is uh, about 900 pages. So it's not something that I would recommend just like picking up and reading. It's going to take a lot of dedication to read through the entire book. But he says, and I really like this definition of secular, a move from a society where belief in God is unchallenged and indeed unproblematic to one in which it is understood to be one option amongst others and frequently not the easiest to embrace. So this denotation of secular is that a community that is not secular is where belief in God is easy. And it's actually the most obvious choice. In a, in a society where it is secular is where belief in God is just one option. And, and in most scenarios, it is not the easiest option to embrace. In a non-secular society, belief in God is very easy to do. In a secular society, belief in God is very hard to do. So this is another notation or definition of secular. So we have materialism, we have liberalism, and now we have secularism. Three things that we've defined. Now, a paradigm or worldview or framework. There's supposed to be one more word up there. I forgot to put it up. Paradigm, worldview, framework. Three different things. All mean the same thing for our purposes. A paradigm is an interconnected framework of beliefs encompassing a set of fundamental premises that are widely accepted by individuals 
within a particular philosophical community. These shared beliefs form the basis for understanding and exploring philosophical inquiries, providing a common ground from which philosophical arguments, theories, and concepts are evaluated. A paradigm is, again, a set of interconnected ideas. And these ideas are non-negotiable. These ideas are foundational. These ideas are accepted by everyone within that worldview or within that framework. Okay? A paradigm or a worldview is wherein there are ideas that everyone assents to, accepts without question. We don't question these things. They're already accepted. For example, within, let's say, within the paradigm of the DS retreat, everyone accepts that the Quran is true. Everyone accepts that the hadith is true. We don't need to sit here arguing for their legitimacy at this moment in time because everyone here accepts that already. Everyone knows, yeah, we believe in the Quran. We believe the Quran is haq. It's already accepted. In this philosophical paradigm of the Dar es Salaam retreat, we don't need to go about proving that. Okay, that's what a paradigm is. That's what the worldview is. That there are foundational premises, foundational ideas that everyone accepts to. Now, this term modernity, We've heard it many times. Modernity as a philosophical term is a worldview, is a paradigm that accepts all the previous isms, liberalism, secularism, and materialism as non-negotiables, as fundamental truths, as intuitive beliefs. In the paradigm of modernity, you don't need to explain liberalism. You don't need to explain modernity, and you don't need to explain secularism. Modernity as a philosophical term, again, is this umbrella paradigm. It encompasses materialism, liberalism, secularism, there's other ideas as well, not getting into it right now. So this is what modernity is. And then modernity is also used as a time period, and it just refers to the time period when these ideas came into being 1600s to the early 1900s. Okay? But what we're concerned about is modernity as a philosophical time period, uh, philosophical term. So again, Modernity as a philosophical term incorporates and takes for granted liberalism, secularism, and materialism. These isms are axiomatic. They believe in it without any dalil. They don't need a dalil. It's true. We've already moved past that. There is no dalil. There's no proof for it. It's already accepted. So this is what modernity is. Now, there's supposed to be another slide. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to put it up. Post-modernity is, is a little bit different. Okay? Modernity, there is this energy that using our reason and rationale and the human freedom and our liberty, we can conclude about the world. We can make rational judgments about the world. We can figure out the world. There is this positivism. There, no, not positive. There is this uh, optimistic uh, attitude towards the world that we can achieve capital T truth. That's modernity incorporating all these isms that we talked about. Post-modernity is the opposite of that. Post-modernity is, forget that. There's no capital T truth. There's no objective truth. We can't reach that. We can't talk about these meta-narratives. We can't talk about how we're going to explain the entire world. We can't do that. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. That's post-modernity. Okay? And we live in a post-modern world. Now, this is a, an important backdrop to before what we're going to do next, okay? And I'm sure some of this, or most of this, 
all of you already are aware of because of the previous talks that have already discussed these things. But it's a good review for all of us and for those individuals who might have not been here for the past two days. Okay? So the next discussion, okay, if we look at, if we look at the, uh, the, the first three on the left, materialism, enlightenment, liberalism, this is modernity. Okay? We're going to come back to this timeline at the end. This is modernity. From 1600s to late 1800s, this is the period of modernity. And we'll come back to this timeline at the end, inshallah ta'ala. Okay, the next thing, essences. I'm going to discuss what an essence is in a second. Okay? David Hume, famous Scottish philosopher, he says, Reason is and ought only to be the slave of the passions and may never pretend to any office other than to serve and obey them. Yani, obey the passions. Reason is subordinate, is a slave to desire. And this is a point that we're going to address, inshallah ta'ala, in just a few minutes. What is an essence? Okay, now this is where I need everyone's attention, inshallah. This is where it's going to get a little tricky. An essence, in Arabic, mahiya, it is what makes a thing itself. An essence... It is what makes a thing itself. Now, this might sound like a tautology that I'm just repeating terms, but no, that's exactly what it is. An essence makes something itself. The best way to understand this is through an example. Let's say you walk into a room. You see a beautiful desk with a bunch of laptops and computers. In front of each computer, there is a nice chair, an ergonomic chair, and you're sitting there, on, and on those chairs there are a bunch of penguins. A bunch of penguins. When you walk into that room, a sane human being would not try to conversate with that penguin. Let's say, they would just be like, what's going on? Why are there a bunch of penguins here? You're not going to ask the penguin, why are you here? Why are there a bunch of penguins here? But on the other hand, if on one of those seats, there was a human being, any human being, any human being, you'd say, hey, you'd ask the human being, why are there a bunch of penguins here? Why would you do that? Why would you ask the human and not the penguin? Now, this is something we intuitively do. It's because the human being has the ability to hear what I have to say, take that meaning and respond back with it. The human being has something what we call rationality. The human being has something called reason. The human being can understand my speech and respond back to it. A penguin cannot. It's because a human being's essence has rationality. It's within his essence to be rational. It's within his essence to take meaning, abstract meaning, and respond back to that meaning. Whereas a penguin cannot do that. We do this intuitively. We would not walk into a room and just see a desk and start talking to the desk. Because a desk's essence or a penguin's essence does not have rationality within it. Whereas a human being has rationality. This is why Aristotle defines a human as a rational animal. In Arabic, al-hayawan al-naltiq. So a human being is a rational animal. We can conversate with a human being. We can't conversate with a penguin. Because the essence of a human being is fundamentally different than the essence of a penguin. So in our mind, we automatically distinguish between a human and all other animals, between a water bottle and a desk and a laptop. 
We try to drink the water, we don't try to drink the laptop. Because the essence of water is different than the essence of the computer. So on a fundamental, intuitive, basic, simple level, even a child recognizes that there are something that makes a human being different from everything else. There's something that makes water different than everything else. That thing that makes itself is called an essence. In Arabic, known as mahiya, what it is. And this, from this, we also derive one of the three rules of logic. There's the principle of non-contradiction. There's the law of the excluded middle. And the one that we're highlighting over here, the law of identity. Each thing is identical to exactly itself. A human being is a human being. A human being is not a penguin. Because there's an essence. There's something that makes a human a human. There's something that makes a, a dog a dog. There's something that makes a pengu penguin a penguin. This is a simplified explanation of an essence. Okay? Mahia. It is what makes something itself. That what makes something itself. So this is what a mahia is. Now, before modernity, before modernity, yani the time period, before the time period of modernity, before the 1600s, as majority consensus of humanity, of course you had a, one or two individual exceptions, everyone accepted that there are essences to things. That human being has something, something within him that makes him a human being. A penguin is a penguin for some reason. And a penguin can only be a penguin and nothing but a penguin. A human being can only be a human and nothing but a human. So you had to define what a human being was. You had to understand what a human being was. Because there were essences to things, people did philosophy. They tried to think, okay, what makes a human different from an animal? What makes a human being different from a giraffe? Oh, it's because he has rationality. So we try to figure out the world. We try to understand the world. So before modernity, there was this idea. It was axiomatic. It was intuitive. It was accepted that things had essences. Okay? Well, what happened after modernity? I'm pretty sure we can all guess. People said that there are no essences. Okay? Now, how did we go from essences to not essences is a story that is beyond the scope of this session. Okay? But what we need to understand, in the late 1800s, people started to question the fundamental belief that things have mahiya, that things have essences. That there are no such thing as essences. There is nothing intrinsically that makes a human being a human. There's nothing that makes a human being a human. He's a human because we define him as a human being. I'm sure many of you are, can see where this is going. If you can no longer define a human being as a human being, if there's no essence to define a human being by, then you can start to define a human however you want to. Now this starts to happen in the 1800s. There are many people who are very important for this. Rousseau, the French philosopher, he was some, somebody who argued against essences. He uses the word natures. He argued against the natures of human beings. There's no such thing as a nature to things. And when things don't have essences, acts, actions, amal also don't have essences. So if actions don't have any essence, and actions don't have any sort of thing that defines what an action is, what makes it it, then if it's right or wrong, also don't have any essence. There's no capital G good. There's no capital R right. There's no such thing as something, you can say this action is good based upon this scale. There's no scale anymore. So actions also lose their value. So actions also become 
subjective. And so morality becomes subjective. So homosexuality has no meaning of good or right, or good or wrong, or bad or good, beyond what the person intends. Now this idea that starts to happen in the 1800s and takes root in the 1900s, before in modernity, it was about reason, rationale, let's think, figure things out, right? Let's take the reason to its extent. Now again, that's also a misnomer, but we're not going to talk about that today. There's also some sort of a myth, but that's beyond the scope of today's discussion. But in the 1800s and the 1900s, it's no longer reason. The standard is now desires. What I feel should be the case is now the case. What I feel should define this thing, it should be defined as such. It is now desires, or rather the will, that precedes reason. And this is known as voluntarism. Google it later, voluntarism, after, after the retreat, and there are details to that. This idea that the will has to supersede and precede reason. As I gave you the quote of Hume right before, reason, uh, will and volition has to be subordinate to reason. Do you see the one who takes his desires as a god? It's in the Quran. These two ayat, this one, and describe our entire picture today. Describe the entire story today. So the standard now is desires. The standard now, there's no essences. There's nothing that makes a human a human. So now, the next step is now just rationalizes immorality. Aristotle says, men start revolutionary changes for reasons connected with their private lives. Again, read that one more time. Men start revolutionary changes for reasons connected with their private lives. Why is this revolutionary change for the acceptance of all type of sexual perversions? Where does it start? It starts in the bedroom, starts in the private lives. Okay. Now this is, now this is nothing new. This is something our ulama talk about. Moral failure is very hard to deal with. If you feel that you're doing something inherently wrong, it's not something that you can deal with easily. If you feel that you're doing something wrong, you're not going to be okay with yourself. And habitual moral failure is going to lead to some sort of dissonance, cognitive dissonance. You're not going to feel good about it. If you're habitually engaging in sin, there's either two ways. One, you either have to stop, and many people do. Or other, the second option, is that you have to now justify it. You have to now justify that immorality. You have to now justify the immoral action. The personal physician of Hitler, when he killed a lot of, of the Jews, he was asked why. He said, I fundamentally believe that what I did was right. He stood by it. For him to kill thousands of people, it's because he had to believe it was right. However that happened, however he came to believe it was right, that's another story. But he believed it was right for him to do that. That's why he did that. That's the only way a person can commit these major atrocities. Now, it's not enough for a person to engage in these perversions. It has to be now equalized to everything else. It is not the case that marriage is inherently better because there is no essences. There is no essence to marriage. Marriage is just one option amongst all the other options. So homosexuality and marriage are completely equal. 
marriage and zina are completely equal. Any type of zina and marriage are completely equal on the scale of on their scale. Why? No essences. There's nothing inherently good about marriage because there's nothing capital G good. All choices are morally equal. All choices are morally equal. So, this rationalization has to take place. I'm going to read to you from a book. It's called, it's a funny name, Making Gay Okay. How rationalizing homosexual behavior is changing everything. Contrary to the title, he's not advocating for it. He's explaining how it happened. He says on page 9, If you are going to center your public life on the private act of homosexuality, of sodomy, you had better transform sodomy into a highly moral act. If sodomy is a moral disorder, it cannot be legitimately advanced on the legal or civil level. On the other hand, if it's a highly moral act, it should, in fact, must serve as the basis for marriage, family, and community. As a moral act, sodomy should be normative. If it is normative, it should be taught in our schools as a standard. If it is a standard, it should be enforced. In fact, homosexuality should be hierarchic. Active homosexuals should be ordained as priests and bishops. Sodomy should be sacramentalized. All of this was, is happening. It was predictable. The homosexual cause moved naturally from a plea for tolerance to cultural conquest because the rationalization upon which it is based requires the assent of the community, community to the normative nature of the act of sodomy. In other words, in other words, we must all say that the bad is good in order for the rationalization to be secure in itself. For them to be secure in their sodomy and for them to be secure in their perversions, everyone must say that it is a good act. If not, there's a chance that it can be flipped upon them. So it's not just about them in their private lives and their private actions. No, that's not where this is going. It is going everywhere. And forget where it's going. It's already happening. Why are people in Europe, Europe is already, in terms of these ideas, Europe's always a little bit ahead. Europe, imams are being taken out of the country because of their anti-LGBTQ stances. They're being deported based on the fact that we cannot comply to these requirements. Why? It's because for this to be, for the rationalization, for them to feel that this is okay to go, that okay to do, and not to be scared, and to move beyond moral failure, they have to see that every single person believes that this bad thing is actually a good thing. So it's not going to stop. It's only going to get worse. And it's already gotten worse. This is why in the media, this is why a football World Cup has to, and even though it's taking place in Qatar, in a different country, they have to abide by it. Because rationalization cannot stop here. It will continue. This immorality that we see as immorality, they, will, they do not want us to see it as immorality. And every other group has succumbed to it. Whether it's the Catholic Church, whether it's the other groups, everyone has succumbed to it. And the Muslims are the only ones standing firm. And there are people from within and out who will try to make sure that we don't stand firm, but we have to stand firm. Because we cannot succumb to this. At the end of this, a society that's based upon moral failure will eventually collapse. And so we cannot have the Muslims have this acceptance of moral failure, because then we will collapse. And then he had the, I believe he mentioned the quote right at the beginning. 
what it says right here. People do not believe lies because they have to, but because they want to. Again, it's not a rational discourse. None of what's taking place today is a rational discourse. This is what I want to highlight. Anything we've discussed today of them and their arguments, we're not even talking about the arguments. I didn't get into, into any of the arguments. Any of their arguments are not based upon a rational discourse because fundamentally, they don't believe in essences. Fundamentally, they don't believe in the laws of logic. Fundamentally, there's nothing inherently capital T truth. It's not an act of reason. It's an act of nafs and hawa. It's an act of will. It's an act of volition. It's not as if they were, they believed in this truth because it rationally makes sense. They believe in it because of the fact they want to believe in it. This is an act of will. If there's anything you take away from this, today's lesson, is that you have to understand that the, modern, the, the world that we live in today is not an, a rationally based discourse. It's not a rationally based conversation. It's an act of will. It's an act of desire. And they will take will and it will supersede rationality. Because how in the world does it make sense? A man can be born as a man and now identifies an, as an envelope if he wants to. If he wants to, really he can. And no one is there to critique him for that. Why? Because it's what I intend reality to be. It's what I define my essence. There's no predetermined essence. There is no... Allah taught Adam the names of everything. The essences of everything. There's no names. It's what I define myself to be. That's what I am. How in the world does this make sense? It's not about making sense. It's about what... The, what the desires want. The desires in the world that we live in have overcome the reason. In modernity, reason still had its regard. Post-modernity, reason has been taken the back seat. And it's no longer even in the car. It's long past. We dropped it off 50 miles ago. So the world that we live in is a world of volition and will. That is the ayah that we need to keep in mind. And lastly, coming back to this timeline, this materialism, enlightenment, liberalism, the first 300s, the 300 years in this page, is where I like to say, Nasullah. They forgot Allah Azza wa Jalla. And then post-modernity and sexual revolution, فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنفُسَهُمْ They forgot themselves. This is the timeline. If all this was too much, just remember this. Those 300 years, Nasullah. They first relegated God to some blind watchmaker. Then they said, God, God doesn't interact with us in any way. Then they said, God, does God really exist? Even if He exists, it doesn't matter. Then they took out God. When they took out God, they forgot themselves. Everything came toppling on themselves. Again, I want to clarify that this is not a thorough or a comprehensive explanation or elucidation of what has happened. This is one specific aspect that I want us to remember about essences. That they rejected essences. They rejected that things have definitions. They rejected that there is something that makes us human. So therefore, now, reason cannot define what that is. Our hawa, our nafs, and our desires define for us those things. Okay? So all these terms, you have to know a little bit about it to get into the main topic. Understand modernity as a paradigm that incorporates all these three different things. And post-modernity as a rejection of that. And post-modernity says there is no capital T truth. And in that, that we have this idea that there's no more essences. So now, if I want to wake up and define my gender as whatever I want to be, then I can, because it's an act of volition, not an act of reason. Now there are additional sources that I want to highlight towards. Um, I'm going to on the the QR code on the left is for this one. Uh, is the first link on the right. 
Islam and LGBTQ, Gender, Sexuality, Morality and Identity with Dr. Kara Sharif at Tubaghi. This is on a YouTube channel called Blogging Theology by Brother Paul Williams. It is a four-hour lecture, a very thorough and comprehensive and probably the most comprehensive lecture on YouTube by a, uh, by a, a, a well-renowned and traditional scholar who knows, his, he knows what he's talking about. Okay? It's a four-hour lecture. The QR code's on the left. If you have the time, go back home, listen to this lecture. Just for yourselves. He will talk about all the different aspects. Okay, I don't think he talks too much about essences. But he ta that's why I highlighted this today. But he talks about a lot of other important aspects. The political, the, uh, the economical, uh, the philosophical as well. So watch that lecture. Just so we know, Blogging Theology is a YouTube channel where Brother Paul, he does podcasts with different people. Many of those lectures are extremely beneficial. Many of those lectures are like these academic talks that we have here. Again, I'm not endorsing him full on. There might be some things there that are not appropriate, not accurate. Everyone you take from and you reject something from. But overall, his podcasts are very, very beneficial. He brings on a lot of traditional scholars and people who know other topics very well. So listen to that on, on blogging theology. On the second, on the right side, we, uh, we have um, Where the Rainbow Ends, American Muslims and LGBTQ Activism. This is by Brother Mubin Vaid, um, who, uh, who, has, who is a prolific writer, and he has written a lot on these topics. This is an article, so read that article as well. Both of these speakers have spoken here at Dar es Salaam during the winter intensives, uh, if, I, if I'm correct. Uh, both of these speakers, okay? And lastly is the book I have over here, okay? This is a little bit more of a deeper read. Uh, it's a little bit more philosophical, but if you're interested, again, not every single thing is accurate. He's a Christian writer. He ha he's going to take things a little bit different, but we take some things that are beneficial from this book over here. Um, in the first link, in the YouTube link, in the four hours, in the, co in the um, not the comment section, in, this, in the description, he has detailed slides, uh, about four hour, uh, about, about 20, 30 slides, uh, 20, 30 pages on his slides where he provides everything and details and numbers and statistics. So look at that. If you want to have a more thorough, comprehensive account, this would be the best place to look at, inshallah ta'ala. And there's many more, but these two shall suffice, inshallah ta'ala. We ask Allah for protection. We ask Allah to protect ourselves, our family members, our young ones. And this is, not, this is not over, and it's only going to increase. So we have to be aware. We have to educate ourselves. We have to educate our family members. We have to educate the young ones. Because... They come from a different framework. And this is something that Mawlana Mateen talked about, about different frameworks. We have our own framework. We have our own answers. We view the world in very different ways. So it's not about being compatible. There is no compatibility. They're mutually exclusive. And one last thing I'm going to mention. Just because we may agree with certain conclusions, the way we get to those conclusions is more important than the conclusion itself. Liberalism might take its, its way and it might conclude that, you know, Human rights, you know, it's important that people are not abused, for example. We might agree with that, but the way we go about doing that is very different than the way they go about doing that. So keep this in mind. Because you might see somebody, somebody advocating something and like, wait, that's, what's wrong with that? Yeah, the conclusion itself might not be wrong. We might agree with that. Oh, Sharia might tell us the exact same thing. But the way we go about proving that is very different than the way they go about doing that. We prove that through God and Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam. They prove that through many other different ways. So keep this in mind. That's the last thing. Wa alhamdulillah rabbil